Let's pray for you before you speak. Father God, we thank you for Adele, and we ask you now to anoint her with your Holy Spirit. Speak your word through her. Your servant, speaking on your behalf. And open our ears to hear that your word may instruct and strengthen and guide us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, do we know what it's all about yet? When I turned up at PCC meeting on Tuesday, Joe Franquero showed me a mock-up for the next film club on his phone. It's a sing-along to Sister Acts. I thought, what a fantastic idea. It made me smile. It's a film I haven't seen, but I do know one of the songs. I don't know if you know it. It's called Follow Me, and it's sung by the Nuns Chorus. So I had a look on YouTube to see what it looks like in the film. And it starts with a group of very sedate, prim nuns, all in their habits, singing very beautifully. And then, after a little while, there's a step change, and it comes to life. And then that song is filled with joy and energy and exuberance. They all come alive and start enjoying themselves in a way they had not done before. Looked really a lot of fun. Paul's already mentioned the sermon of yesterday. I have to admit, I didn't watch the royal wedding. But when I met up with my sons and their friends who had, they didn't talk about the dress or they didn't talk about the crowds. They said, Mum, what a sermon. So I went away and found it online and read it. And then I walked back in and said, I've read it now, we can talk about it. And they said, Mum, you've not to read it, you've got to watch it. Because actually, it was the passion of Bishop Michael Curry that made all the difference to the message. These two stories, in a way, give anecdotes into what I want us to think about when we look at this passage today. They're conversations between a rich young man and Jesus, and then the disciples and Jesus. And I want us to hold in mind that question of, did he know what it was all about? Jesus called this rich young man to follow him. But actually, we see that he turned away sad. The disciples had already accepted a call to follow Jesus. And we are also invited to follow him too. Have we actually said yes to following him? If we have, I would suggest that our hearts will be on fire. They will be captured by him. We will have some of that passion that we saw in the nuns' chorus, but also some of that passion that Bishop Michael spoke of or showed yesterday. So this young man, he asked Jesus what good deed must he do to have eternal life? Interesting, isn't it? Because he's asking how he can earn and what he can do to have life filled with the presence and knowledge of God. And I think to start with, Jesus actually plays with him a little because he reminds the young man that, well, isn't it only God who is good? That's what God's nature is, surely. It's only God who is good. And then he tells him that actually, well, if you want to be good and inherit eternal life, 
do you keep all the commandments? As this story unfolds, we find out that this man, this young man, the the word for young man used in Greek suggests that he was under the age of 28. This young man already has considerable wealth and possessions. He's rich in his culture, and so actually in the culture in which he lived, people would have thought of him to have been blessed by God because of his wealth. He was somebody who was seen to be upholding the law, worshipping in the temple, living a seemingly upright life. Yet I would suggest for him to ask the question he did of Jesus, he must have been conscious that there was something missing, something that he knew wasn't quite right. I can liken this perhaps to doing a jigsaw puzzle. Have you ever sat and done one of a 500, 1,000 pieces? I rarely have the patience, but I have a husband who enjoys doing them very much. But just think how frustrating it is to do it all and then find that that last piece is missing and you can't quite look at the picture fully. Anyway, back to Jesus. Jesus tells the young man to obey and keep the commandments. The man says, well, which ones? Jesus quotes a few back, not all of them. He says, well, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal. Honour your father and mother and love your neighbour. The man says that he has been keeping all of those. So then what does he lack? So Jesus then tells him, if you want to be perfect, go and give, go and give all your possessions to the poor Then the young man will have treasure in heaven. And then he says, come, follow me. I think it's in those sentences, in those words, that Jesus hits the crux of the man's problems. This young man, already by the age of, say, 28-ish, has accumulated wealth. That's his priority. That's where his heart is. That's what makes him get out of bed in the morning. That's what it's all about to him. And then as add-ons, he's going to the temple, he's living a good and upright life. But what holds his heart is his wealth. And also, just as a reminder, there's one commandment in this then that he has not kept, isn't there? For he has made an idol of the wealth. It is something that he has put before God. And do remember, have a read of Exodus again. We have a jealous God. He wants us first and foremost, doesn't he? So the man went away sad because he knew that where his heart lay was with his wealth. He, in a sense, said no. He rejected that call to follow Jesus, to have the relationship with Jesus. When I was preparing this, two questions kept coming back to me. They were, so what do I have to do and what's it going to cost? And those questions um, came back to me quite strongly because they were spoken to me about six years ago. It was the first time I'd been to talk to somebody about theological training. I wasn't thinking of ordination, but that's what was said to me at the back of the conversation. It was, Adele, you are being called for ordination. And when I got back home, my husband joined me and said, oh, Adele, so what have you got to do? And how much is it going to cost? 
And he did. It was some time later before I could answer him because it took me a while to comprehend what had been said to me. I can say to you today, though, it has actually cost an awful lot. But I wouldn't change a thing. And what did I have to do? Well, all I had to do was say yes. How we live our lives, what we do, how we act, who we choose to follow, is what it's all about. And in our lives, it shows where our heart is, because our heart and how we choose to live affects what happens really down deep inside. It affects what our core values are. There may be some people whose lives you can look at and you think, They're so transparent. They're living with a humility. They're reflecting that love of God because they know that love of God for themselves. And it's so attractive. Just think about Bishop Michael yesterday. And then there are others, aren't there, you can look to, and I'm not naming any names, but they seem preoccupied with so many different things, things that get in the way. Anyway, back to our passage. I think this passage is also one that shows that Jesus has a sense of humour because it's that passage you'll all know about the camel and the eye of the needle. You know, Jesus is saying to his disciples who say, how can a rich man enter the kingdom of heaven? He's saying, yeah, it's really impossible, isn't it? You'd never get a camel, a huge big creature, through a little eye of the needle. Some commentaries have suggested that the eye of the needle is a passage in Jerusalem that a camel fully laden might not be able to walk through. I think I'd quite like to take the simpler understanding, really, that actually Jesus is just saying, yeah, really impossible, isn't it? How on earth is that going to happen? But then he goes on to say that things that in our mind's eye seem really impossible are not for our God. In him, all things are possible. And the life of faith lived in him is something that is possible because it's actually not down to us. It's all about God from beginning to end. It's all about his grace. God, our creator, God, our redeemer, and God, our sustainer. God, our father, God, our son, and God, our Holy Spirit. God who exists in Trinity. The disciples were right to question about wealth. They were probably quite wealthy too. If they were fishermen in that time and had fishing boats, they were not poor of the poor. But they had done something different to the rich man in the text. When Jesus had come along to them, they'd said yes to following him. And the other thing to say about this is that the plans are not just in the here and now. The plans of God do start in the here and now, but they continue for eternity. And actually, we need to lift our eyes to understand this eternal plan of God, of all that is beyond the here and now in this life. I think if our eyes are only fixed on today and this life, it might not seem unreasonable to desire a comfortable life to think about possessions and money and how we can enjoy the things we have. But actually, doesn't what we have, if there's an eternal view, need to impact beyond what today holds? 
because from how we act and how we live, there are eternal consequences. There's eternal life with God, or the alternative, eternal separation from him. Jesus goes on to tell the disciples that their fate will be judging the twelve tribes. He says, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or um, father or mother or children or friends for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. You see, the values of the kingdom of God are upside down in many ways compared to what we might see the kingdom, the values of this world. And I think in many ways and at many times, our view and our perspective is far too small. In these parables that we're going through, listening to at the moment in our weekly sermon series, we're reminded that Jesus, when he lived and walked on this earth, was a breakthrough of eternity into the world. And it's through listening to him rereading and praying on what he said that we can grasp more fully that eternal perspective. The prophets knew well this. Have a read of some of them, the poets of the Old Testament. They knew that we can't know everything. They knew that we have a glimpse of eternity touching through. But on a human level, we cannot fully understand God's ways or grasp all that he wants to do. We live in these last days. We live in the time after the death and resurrection of Jesus and before the second coming. We have the gift of Jesus for us. Jesus died for each one of us. He paid the price for all that we should have paid and opened the way for us to enter into relationship with him. In these days, we also have the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have the presence of God with us today. It's the time of the Spirit in many ways, the times in which we live. That wonderful working of God who is present within each and every one of those who have said that yes to Jesus. Another Old Testament prophet, Ezekiel, talks about this new gift of the Holy Spirit in days. He said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Pentecost, we celebrate this coming in power of the Holy Spirit. We remember the time, those thousands of years ago now, when those disciples who had been obedient and waited in Jerusalem received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you think, wow. You know, these fishermen 
these other disciples who were all huddled in a room, probably still quite frightened, were empowered. They became courageous and bold. Their lives were changed for better, for good, and forever. Because having experienced, I am sure, the presence of the Holy Spirit within them, they could not go back to how they had been before. They had to say, this is real, you know. And actually, perhaps we're living then in times very much unlike those of the rich young man. Because he did not have that accompanying presence of the Holy Spirit to help guide him and encourage him. Friends, we need to say yes to Jesus today. And at times it's so difficult, I think, in the culture we live in. When we look at the world and how it operates, I think we're told in many ways and in many circumstances that we are the masters of our own fate. That actually we succeed when we do have that comfortable life and that good job, that fast car and that big house or ten holidays a year. We live in a culture where we're told that actually we need to achieve, don't we? We need to fight and strive for all that's good. And that starts so much in our young people, isn't it? You know, think of all of those sitting exams today about how we think about the grades our young people are going to or need to achieve rather than thinking about how our young people are developing and growing character. The rich young man, of course, could have sold everything he owned and given everything to the poor and followed Jesus. He could have made that decision. So having wealth per se, I don't think Jesus is saying is bad. It's how we use the gifts that have been given to us. Are they making a difference for the state of our soul on an eternal front? Are we, are we being people that know that we are making decisions so that there will be treasure in heaven? There will, of course, be things and people that hinder the call we have. We might be really concerned about what people think about us. We might be living with unhealthy relationships or inappropriate ways of behaving. And yet our call is to live set apart for Jesus. I learnt an awful lot about God from this passage or was reminded about many things and I just want to share a few of these with you now. Our God is good. It's his nature in all things. You know, so if God is in something and calling us and drawing us we don't need to fear, you know, we can say yes and follow because we know he has our best interests at heart. He is good. A reminder that he works for eternity on an eternal perspective, not in the here and now. So there might be choices in the short term that are really difficult. There might be things he's asking of us that seem really hard. 
But actually, he's twisting us gently, isn't he, so that we actually realign with his values and his kingdom and not the values and kingdom of this world. Matthew 19.30 Many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Heaven, eternity, God's kingdom works a little differently to the other ways of this world. Another thing to pick out from this passage is that God knows. He knows what we need before we do. He knows everything that you try to hide or I try to hide from everybody else. He knows the barriers we put up to him. Just like this young, rich young man whose barrier was wealth and probably what people thought about him too. God already knows what our barriers are. And yet we have a God who invites with gentleness Did you notice that the man turned away sad? Jesus didn't stomp his feet and try and persuade him and jump up and down. He at this point let him go. God works with gentleness, without force. There's no coercion or manipulation. There's invitation. I think this is also a passage where we can learn an awful lot about ourselves. I can't speak for everybody here. I can speak about the young man in the passage, that wealth was the barrier to him. I just wonder, perhaps there's something that the Holy Spirit is showing to you now about the barrier that you're putting up towards God. And I sort of want to say yet again, it's it's not like just rocking up here and sitting in a chair on a Sunday morning. It's far more than that. Not that coming here on a Sunday is not important, it is. It's good to be together. But actually, it's not about what we are seen to be doing. It's about how we're being transformed on the inside. So have you got a missing piece in the puzzle? Have you got that final piece of the puzzle? Are you like Paul, experiencing joy in all situations? as he suffered for the gospel? Are you like those disciples who have experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit come upon you in power so strongly that actually you can never forget that, that it has altered your life for good, for better? Do we know what it's all about yet? Whatever our circumstances, whatever our journey has been up to this point, however we may be putting up barriers to God at this time, there is good news here because we have a God who does not give up on us. He continues to walk with us. He continues to call us to follow him. We have a God who desires relationship with us. We have a God who nothing is impossible with. So even though we may feel that we've not got it quite right, that there might be a piece missing, that we're still struggling with something, we do have a God who cares. We do have a God we can come to and speak to and empty these things to. We do have a God who is gently saying to all of us, come, follow me.